What is new creation? Is it the same as heaven? Are we all just talking about the same concept, but with different language? If I say, I'm looking forward to going to New Jerusalem, is that the same as you saying, I want to go see St. Peter and the pearly gates and be on cloud nine with my harp and the little cherub angels? No, these are very different concepts, and you've probably been lied to about what the afterlife is like. Maybe not because people want to deceive you, but it seems like people just straight up don't take what the description in Revelation says seriously. We're so conditioned to believe in the traditional idea of heaven that we actually neglect to look at the even more interesting promise of new creation. So in this chapter, we're going to set things straight. I'm going to separate the idea of heaven from the idea of the millennial kingdom and the millennial kingdom from new creation, which is entirely separate yet. I know it's a very hard stretch of the imagination to think of multiple afterlifes almost. Uh, You die here and then you could come back and reign with Jesus for a thousand years and then after that everything disappears and there's a new creation yet? I mean, we're not prepared for that, but we should be. We should be teaching everybody about this and then we could get used to the concept, start asking questions about the different phases of creation and new creation So this chapter is going to really try to break through that mental barrier and paint a picture of what new creation could be like, because I think it's important that we're excited about that. It's the promise of God for all eternity. Let's turn our hearts to that and study it more closely. Oh, and one last thing. I want to thank everybody who's supporting me on Subscribestar and Patreon, and I even have an OnlyFans. I think it would be funny if I had support there. But especially ATAV, Barbara, and Marty, they're the biggest supporters. They're patron-tier supporters. Very helpful. Thank you to everybody. Go to wolfpox.com to get links to all of my different platforms that I'm creating content on and where you can support me going forward. Chapter 17, Logic of New Creation. And I saw a new heaven, cosmos, sky, universe, and a new earth, physical planet. For the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. Revelation 21, verse 1. Revelation's description of new creation plays an important role in distinguishing afterlife concepts. We must not be short-sighted or hasty to lump the periods and places together. Not only do we not go to heaven forever, but we actually come back down to this very same earth in order to reign in the millennial kingdom. Then, after the thousand years, there is a final showdown with Satan, where he is finally defeated once and for all and cast into hellfire eternally. Only after that is there a judgment day, where we are exempt, but the rest of the dead stand trial. Once this final sorting process has happened, an entirely new universe 
is created for us. A universe of potential. Churches have greatly neglected to preach on new creation or dared to speculate on what it really means. It's not even part of the narrative of what we should be looking forward to. It's ignored in favor of thinking only of heaven. But once we realize that a whole new universe will be ours, the prospects of new creation become much more tangible and exciting than heaven, which is more like a temporary refuge and vantage point. New creation will be better than heaven. And that shouldn't even be a controversial idea. After all, if God thinks that new creation is going to be enjoyable for trillions upon trillions of years, for all of eternity, then there must be something extremely amazing about it. We will not miss heaven or long to go back there. John's brief description of new creation shifts our focus to the most important part, which is New Jerusalem and our future with God and Jesus. But this does not rule out all of the other implications about what the new creation is meant for. Those who have studied the logic of the Genesis creation story know that mankind was made in the image of God because our function was to image God as a verb. What that means is fairly simple. We were not simply made to resemble him physically or in spirit, but it is what we are meant to do. It's another way of saying we are all made in order to imitate, copy, represent, reflect, and function on behalf of God. It turns out that God is not so different from us in the sense that he also loved to have children who reminded him of himself. To this day, do we not call him our father and try to represent him on earth? Any father can attest that the joy of children is to see yourself reflected in them and to watch their growth and maturity into being more like yourself, but also different and special. We will have an eternity to do that, and to grow and learn and be more like God. We will have eternal bodies, immune to fatigue, drowsiness, sickness, lusts, and the constant distractions of life that prevent us from thinking and acting well. But without a new cosmos and planet, our opportunity for growing and learning will be extremely limited. Just as in the Garden of Eden, we will be tasked with tending the creation, exploring it, conquering it, and making it beautiful and perfect. God loves to see us be productive, working, and creating just as he loves his own creation. Not working with sweat and constant struggle and aches, as after the curse was placed on the earth, but the pure and wise work of the engineer, the gardener, and the pioneer 
New Jerusalem will be the eternal centerpiece of the universe, but there is very good reason to believe we will be authorized to go out and explore the whole galaxy from there. Adam was meant to live eternally and eat from the tree of life, turning the whole world into his project. Then, when the flood killed mankind and left only Noah's family, God said at the Tower of Babel that if we all had one language and were united, there's nothing we couldn't do. If this is also true for the righteous in new creation, we should be free to unlock all the mysteries of reality, space travel, chemistry, engineering, mechanics, and everything else that can possibly be learned. Perhaps millions of years after we get there, we will all have our own planets to call our own and collaborate on, endlessly pioneering and gaining an appreciation of God's beautiful work. At minimum, when we consider what we seem to know about the science of our planet, with the tectonic plates, molten core, oceans, tidal waves, storms, moons, and the relationships between them, it will be fascinating to see what changes there are in the new universe. Those who think that eternity will simply be lounging around, doing nothing, having no agency or prospects, are completely wrong. It's the opposite. And we will be empowered to reflect the glory of God throughout the world, presumably working in harmony under the care and direction of Jesus Christ and God. An eternal home to return to. Then I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, having been prepared like a bride, having been adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he shall dwell with them. And they shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them. And he shall wipe away every tear from their eyes. And there shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying out. Neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things have passed away. Revelation 21, 2-4 These are the greatest promises mankind could ever receive, but they become even more exciting in a universe where adventure and exploration are how we will spend untold millennia. Without pain, death, or sorrow, we will be liberated from our worst instincts and encouraged to try things and become the ultimate imagers of God, reshaping the universe. Then he who sat on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. 
And he said to me, Write, for these words are faithful and true. And he said to me, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give from the spring of water of life freely to him that is thirsty. He that overcomes, I shall give to him these things, and I shall be God to him, and he shall be to me a son. But the cowardly, the unbelieving, and sinners, and abominable, and murderers, and fornicators, and drug users, and idolaters, and all who are false, shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Revelation 21, 5-8 Everyone who overcomes gets the rewards, and everyone who does not is ultimately consumed by the second death, burning away in the lake of fire. It's interesting that cowards are specifically listed here because that's what it is to value your own life more than the word of God. He loves those who are willing to suffer and die for his truth and his son and those who would spend their lives hiding and ashamed of persecution are not worthy. He that loveth father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he that loveth son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he that taketh not his cross and followeth after me, willingness to die as a martyr, is not worthy of me. He that findeth his life shall lose it. And he that loseth his life for my sake shall find it. Matthew ten thirty-seven to 39 This is what it means to overcome. Remember, he also said, These things have I spoken unto you, that in me ye might have peace. In the world ye shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. John sixteen thirty three. Now let's continue with the description of New Jerusalem. And I saw no temple therein. For the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are the temple of it. And the city had no need of the sun, neither of the moon to shine in it. For the glory of God did lighten it, and the Lamb is the light thereof. Revelation 21, 22-23 After a wonderful description of the gates, foundations, dimensions, and material of New Jerusalem, called the Bride, the Lamb's Wife, we see this incredible, meaningful description. 
we've already been told that the city's gates are labeled with the 12 tribes of Israel and that it has 12 foundations which have in them the names of the 12 apostles. This shows that even the unremarkable and lesser-known apostles are considered eternally important and wonderful, and that writing books of the Bible is not the only thing God valued in them. Their obedience, their willingness to follow Jesus, and their example to the world must be infinitely more important to God than any of the contributions of those who came later and followed their example. They are each counted as being equivalent to a tribe of Israel. But here, in verses 22 and 23, we see that there is no temple, because God and Jesus are the temple. This tells us that in the ideal arrangement, God does not want any sort of legal or ritual system standing in between him and his children. He wants direct access and communion with us. The fact that the city does not need the sun or the moon does not mean that there won't be stars and moons and heavenly lights. It simply means that the city will be sufficiently lit and beautiful by the glory of God and Jesus, so that even if there weren't any sun or moon, we could see clearly. And the nations, Greek ethnos, Gentile people, of them which are saved, saints, shall walk in the light of it, and the kings of the earth, obviously those who were true Christians, do bring their glory and honor into it. Revelation twenty one, twenty four. For a first century Jew to see that the Gentiles will be welcomed into New Jerusalem, the ultimate promised homeland of Messianic Jews, would be quite an amazing sight. Gentile kings and those from nations, a term for tribes and cultures other than Jews, will be free to walk in the light of God and Christ forever. Not only that, but they will bring glory and honor into it. Make sure to think about what that truly means. These are not idle words or meaningless promises, but powerful revelations by God himself about what he loves and wants to spend his eternity in proximity to. The nations have something to offer God's new Jerusalem and will adorn Christ's bride with extra glory somehow. God's family is bigger than the Jews, as we know from Abraham already. Although it's doubtful that anyone would feel the need to physically alter or personalize New Jerusalem, 
is fascinating to think that we humans will have something God wants to show off in his perfect city. And the gates of it shall not be shut at all by day, for there shall be no night there. Revelation 21, 25. There will be no night there in New Jerusalem. But this does not mean night does not exist in the entire planet or universe. We know that the city will be on an extremely high hill, and presumably the brightness of it will be visible from far away, if we feel like exploring and coming back. The city is the final home to return to, where we can worship and socialize and put our minds together to exalt and cherish the goodness around us. Without cowards or liars there, only the strong in spirit and zealous will be around. And they shall bring the glory and honor of the nations into it. And there shall in no wise enter into it anything that defileth, neither whatsoever worketh abomination, or maketh a lie. But they which are written in the Lamb's book of life. Revelation 21, 26-27 John actually repeats the message about the nations bringing glory and honor into New Jerusalem. Think about the imagery of the city descending from the sky and being placed on the mountaintop. We will be somewhere as this happens, perhaps on the mountain. There will be a question of who can enter and who the city truly belongs to. For Gentiles to enter seems absurd under ancient Jewish thinking because God's kingdom was supposed to be pure and untainted by the Gentile nations. Yet here we see them specifically welcomed and distinguished from those who create abominations or lies and those who defile. It's not saying that there will be multitudes of literal nations or countries somewhere out in new creation wanting to get in but excluded. We Christian Gentiles are the nations discussed here, and the significance must be put into the context of expectations of early church Jews who would be confused about why we would be allowed to enter such a holy city. Indeed, to come face to face with God Almighty. And he showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding out of the throne of God and of the Lamb. In the midst of the street of it, on either side of the river, was there the tree of life, which bare twelve manner of fruits, and yielded her fruit every month, implying the marking of time, days, and months. And the leaves of the tree were for the healing, Greek therapeia, therapeutic attention, 
of the nations. And there shall be no more curse. But the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it, and his servants shall serve him. And they shall see his face, and his name shall be in their foreheads. And there shall be no night there. And they need no candle, neither light of the sun, for the Lord God giveth them light. And they shall reign for ever and ever. Revelation 22, 1-5 to Clearly, there will be days and cycles, because every month the trees will bear special kinds of fruit. Not just one fruit of life, but twelve, perhaps imbued twelve different virtues, gifts, or blessings for us to try and enjoy. As for the leaves, the Greek word therapia is only used four times in the Bible, and in two of those cases it means household, as in, And the Lord said, Who then is that faithful and wise steward, whom the Lord shall make ruler over his household, therapia, to give them their portion of meat in due season? Luke twelve, forty-two. If this translation were used, the leaves of the trees would be for the households of the nations to eat and gain sustenance, perhaps. If there are many more Gentiles than Jews in New Jerusalem, this could reflect how much we will cluster and eat, enjoying everything on the trees, not just the fruit. For them to have some kind of healing ability is also perfectly logical, but it is unclear what would need healing. We are washed in the blood of Christ and have no need of extra salvation or cleansing. We have white robes without blemish. We have the same new bodies and benefits as anyone else. This causes me to think it is not any particular healing of the nations, but simply good food for the households of the nations. Well, there is one more chapter in my book, Maybe Everyone is Wrong, Revelations, Conspiracy, and the Kingdom of Heaven. And I hope you come back and listen to it, because it wraps up a lot of the information. It reminds us about what's important, and it's the conclusion. So come back for that. In the meantime, we should be thinking about new creation. You know, we want to look forward to the afterlife and spending an eternity with God, but without a good description of what it would even be like or what our purpose would be there, I know that deep down subconsciously it actually kind of doesn't get us excited. You know, we think this life is very important because this is our chance to do all of the types of things we would like to do eternally. Planting, gardening, you know, exploring, loving things and tasting things and having a real life on an actual physical soil. And, well, that's what new creation actually offers except without all of the problems of this life. 
And on top of that, we have that holy city that we can always come back to. And I'm guessing you're going to want to make a trip back home at least once a month so you can have that fruit that those trees produce. Ah, what a beautiful idea. In the meantime, we're stuck here and we can help each other. We can do the mission that we're given. And I'm going to encourage you to go to wolfpox.com once again. Check out everything that I'm offering there. And come back for that next episode because we're going to wrap up this book. And then after that, we're launching into the next phase of this whole podcast. It's exciting. Thank you for joining. Thank you for listening. Tell your friends about this. Give it a good rating on whatever podcast platform you listen to it. And thank you once again. So long, so long.